Welcome to the Doctoral Mentoring Masterclass for faculty sponsored by Walden University's Office of Research and Doctoral Services. I'm Lee Stallander, the Associate Director of Faculty Research Training at Walden. If you're a Walden faculty member and would like credit for listening to this Masterclass podcast, please make a note of the code that will be given during the session and email it to me. I hope you enjoy the masterclass. Hello and welcome. This is Lita Downs from the Office of Teaching and Learning Excellence. And I would like to welcome you to Walden University's fifth doctoral mentoring class. The masterclasses are designed to allow faculty who have been identified as exceptional mentors to share their experiences and insights with the mentoring community. Today's session will be Fostering Positive Communication. The purpose of today's session is develop, to develop a series of strategies for how to create positive relationships with students and other faculty and administrators. At this point, I'm going to turn things over to our moderator, Dr. Lee Statlander. Welcome. Thank you so much, Lita, and welcome everyone. I am Lee Statlander, and I'm the coordinator of faculty research training in ORDS. So I'd like to introduce our panel members of Exceptional Mentors. Miriam, can you introduce yourself and tell us how many students you have? Okay, uh, my name is Miriam Ross and I've worked for Walden for about 10 years and I've worked with dissert dissertation students since 2018 and love it. And right now I have 12 uh, that I'm chair for and eight others that I'm either committee member or URR. Great, and Greg? Good morning, everyone from uh, Dallas, Texas. My name is uh, Greg Campbell, and I am a graduate of Walden as well with my PhD and now teaching the public policy and administration session. I have about 30 or so students and uh, about 20 or so that I'm chair. So it uh, keeps me busy. I would say. And Matt? I am Matt Fredericks in England. I'm in Columbia, Missouri. I've been teaching with Walden in this capacity for about six years now. Um, my load is a little lighter. I do have a full-time job outside of here. They keep me very busy, but I have about 10 students who I support directly and probably another 10 to 15 who I'm a second committee member on. Very good. So let's start our discussion about positive communication with kind of a definition. So what does positive communication mean to you? I think uh, this is Miriam, I'll start. Um, I think positive communication means for me that there's two-way communication, that the student feels comfortable getting in touch with me, and I do as well. And even if there's differences that we're working toward goals and I'm answering their questions and staying in touch and just making sure that that communication is open. And then I'll, I'll just sort of, I agree totally um, with Dr. Miriam, but I would also add, uh, and I would also add just a holistic communication. So not only two-way communication between the chair and, and the, um, the student, but also holistically between the student and their advisor, the uh, chair and the other committee members, even the student and other committee members, 
the student and other services that Walden provided. So holistic communicate. Here's what I say to my students, communicate, communicate, communicate. You can't over communicate when you're in this process. I definitely agree. I think what, what is important with communication is creating that environment and fostering so that you're approachable. The student knows that you're going to be providing them open and honest feedback. And I think one of the key things with communication, especially as you start looking at positive communication, is that there's a difference between nice communication and kind communication. And I always focus on that kind communication because as I look at the differences between nice and kind, I'm sure you, a lot of you have seen this out there, but nice, sometimes you're trying to be liked too much and that's not necessarily positive and you may not be serving your students in the best capacity if you're trying to be liked, where if you're being kind, you're going to provide feedback to them that they have opportunities for improvement, that they may have an opportunity to change their topic if, if they're pushing up against something that they're not going to be able to achieve. So I, I look at it as providing kind communication over nice communication and being transparent with students. Oh, I like that. So how do you communicate with your students? just in general, and how do you keep it positive? I'll start off with, with that one. So when I get new students um, who are doctoral students, I set up a one-on-one -on -one conversation with them the first week that they come into my course to set expectations, to, to get to know them, to let them get to know me. Um, and I do, uh, as Dr. Matt say, sort of have that kind communication um, uh, philosophy one of the things that I say to students and the term that I use is I don't use the term feedback. I use the term feed forward. And the reason I do that is because I hope that they can begin to see in their brains that when I get communicate with them, when I give them constructive um, uh, dialogue regarding their papers or their, 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 their proposals or dissertation that I am not trying to take them backwards, but I'm actually trying to take them forward. So it is a play on words, but I'm trying to play into their emotional side of their brain and, and uh, to help their rational uh, thinking as well. So I use the term feed forward. It comes off as very positive with all of my students and it helps them make progress towards their goals. I agree. I try to communicate frequently and often. And I think accessibility is very important to students because they're, they're kind of, they're always a little bit nervous, except for the extremely talented writer. Um, but otherwise, they're very nervous about their goals. If they're ever going to get done, they feel like they're in a big hole. So I try to be extremely accessible. And um, we text all the time. If they want to meet, I give them times immediately that we can get together. And it really works. It helps move them forward. And it takes a lot of that fear out so that when they're getting my feedback, I let them know I'm going to be going through everything. I'm very, and I tell them up front the first week, kind of like Greg and Matt, I'm going to be very 
um, direct about what I'm telling you, but it will help you. And you don't like anything or we'll communicate about it, but I'm going to give you the feedback. Then you can, we can discuss it. You can let me know, but you're not going to get done if I'm not giving you feedback or feed forward. I like that. So, you know, it's being accessible to students that I think relieves them, takes the anxiety out and helps them you know, freeze up their mind to go ahead and write something. Because I stress, if you don't write, you're not going to get done. This isn't going to just magically happen. So keep writing. I'll keep giving you feedback until there's no feedback. You can submit. So, you know, I think that accessibility really, really helps them move forward. And it, it does take time, but it's it's worth it. That's my job. And I enjoy my job. So I like seeing them be successful. So that accessibility, I feel is a big plus for them. And I use a lot of the same methods as Dr. Ross and Dr. Campbell, in the sense that I provide my cell phone number, I inform students, it's okay to text me. My phone is set up so that it automatically turns off at certain times so it doesn't ding. And I say, so even if it's in the middle of the night, text me and I'll see it in the morning. It's okay. Um, I also do like Dr. Campbell. I sit down with students and do a, as I onboard, I call it onboarding new students. As I take on new students, I normally do a Teams meeting with them and do a face-to-face -face communication. I talk about their why. I want to understand why they're pursuing the, the doctoral degree. And I also set up expectations of how I'll communicate what works with them for them, um, turnaround times. And I'm forthright in the sense that I'll tell students if I if you text me during during normal hours and I don't text you back within four hours, ping me again. I was probably in a meeting. I probably read your message and I forgot about it. So I'm very honest. And mm -hmm. I try to set those expectations up. And I also do that same when I talk about feedback, tell them my normal turnaround time. If I know my turnaround time is going to increase because of my normal work duties that are something's happening, I'll inform them beforehand so that they have that expectation of, oh, Dr. Matt's going to be busy so I can turn in work early. But if I turn it in this date, it might take a few extra days. I'd like to go into the texting for just a minute as I also do that with my students. Uh, I tell them, you know, I'd rather have you text me a question and wait, you know, for days or whatever and wasting time. But how do you, you know, restrict that or do you restrict how often they can text you? Do you ever feel like it's they're becoming too dependent on you? I've heard that from faculty. Well, that's a good question. And I see Sylvia Mason in the chat box had something very similar to that question. How do you know when is when you're doing too much communication and it's becoming a crutch? So what I do, actually, I'm going to learn what Dr. Matt just said about putting those parameters on my phone. Uh, however, what I do is I provide a sort of uh, a time parameters between, you know, 8 a.m. in the morning Central Standard Time and 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. So I provide them a, a block of time that they can they can actually text. I actually like what Dr. Matt said that if I could figure out on my phone, 
how to just set up where it doesn't ding in the middle of the night. I actually would probably prefer to do that. But work, what works for me is setting up specific time frames, and my students follow that and uh, it works really well. How do I keep um, my conversations with students from sort of becoming a crutch? It's a partnership between us as faculty and our students. And students have to take ownership of their progress, of their work. And so what I say is when students reach out via call or Zoom meeting, make sure they have questions. I don't set up time just to set up you know, vacant, you know, just time where there's airspace. When you set up time with me, I will make myself available, but the student has to own being prepared for those meetings. What that does for my students is it, again, it's, it's creating an environment of accountability versus holding a person or a student accountable. I try to create an environment of accountability. And that's one of the things that I do be prepared for our meetings. As long as they have questions, I don't mind meeting. If you don't come with questions, then reschedule to a time or a day in which you have read your work, read my reviews, and now you can ask uh, scholarly questions. Uh, I agree. Often, especially when I'm working on the prospectus with them, because it's just difficult sometimes for them to get through it. Um, we'll set up meetings after we've had a phone meeting, and I'll say, you know, hand in something before the meeting. Now, if there's nothing handed in, say um, noon and we're meeting that evening, I text them and I say, you may not have time tonight. I see nothing submitted. So let's reschedule when you can go ahead and complete what we discussed the last time, because I try to set goals with them, you know, have this, this, and this done, and then we'll meet next week. And, but I'll look for your submission before we meet. And if that's not there, then we go ahead and reschedule because they have to be performing because like Greg said, we're not meeting just to meet. Um, so, and that's the way to move them forward because especially for the anxious people that are, sometimes when students are real anxious about it, they avoid, I mean, that's human nature. We all do that. So I try to really set, even if they're only working on say two sections, I try to get them to work on them, then we'll discuss it, but they have to do that, just even if it's a little bit, so that we can meet and they can see progress and they can see that they can be successful. So I agree, it's that goal setting and having them be responsible for what we've discussed. Nice. I definitely agree. And the the comments shared were were are amazing there um I, I think the i'll have to adopt the agenda idea but i also set expectations with students so that they know there's going to be a time where i'm going to challenge them to find the answers and i'll let them know this is probably a, a good exercise for you to go and find that answer and then we can discuss it afterward because sometimes that the students start to rely on us for little things or even some of the the research and they want us to engage more to the, to the point that we're one of the investigators which obviously we don't we don't want to be in that role so i obviously i i push students to to stretch themselves to find answers through other means to use the resources through walden 
through through Google because there's a lot of resources available. And I'll add what's interesting about it is that I, like I mentioned, I spend a lot of time in the prospectus. So I think up front, we're really, really staying connected, meeting with them. But what's rewarding is, and I'm sure everybody sees this, is the farther they get into it, by the time they're to that third section or to the research section, DHA, it's the third section, um, and doing their statistics and their real data input, they're a different student. They've accepted it. They see it getting done. So I don't mind spending a little more upfront, but I also expect to see that growth as they go through it. And I always have. So which is rewarding and which helps them and which makes them proud when the study's done. One, one advantage that, that I have as a core faculty member is generally I'll get multiple students that come in each term. So like this next term, I may be getting four new students that are in the prospectus phase. And I will, I will have a team's call with all four of those students to talk about the prospectus phase, what I expect of them. And then I'll, I'll record that call for them. But then I'll also have a one-on-one -on -one call. And like uh, Miriam, I spend a lot of time up front in the prospectus phase because to me, that becomes the roadmap for them going forward for the student. So I also, when I'm having the one-on-one -on -one call, to allow the student to really engage and listen to what I'm sharing with them, I record that call and then send it back to them later so that they can then listen and use that call as a roadmap. So using Teams or Zoom in the prospectus phase to allow them to go back and hear your comments really works well with me and it helps students reach that prospectus milestone, I feel, um, much sooner than if you just let them sort of work through it on their own. Good idea. I like that. I've done something similar in the sense, but a little different in this. What I've done is if I see students struggling with certain topics, um, certain aspects of the prospectus, I will go into Teams, do a Teams meeting by myself, record, <laughs> record myself. I will demonstrate on the screen for different resources. And then I'll download that and upload it to like a YouTube so I can use it later on an unlisted channel. And so I just can send the students the links to those without having to recreate it each time. That's good. I like that. I like mm -hmm. that. I do too. Yeah. So if you had a student that had a really poorly written paper, how would you communicate the issues in a positive way so it doesn't come out like you're just being negative? I tend to take it in sections when I see a, a paper. And in fact, when they get to their proposal section, if they're a real strong writer, I let them give them free reign. If And by the time they get to their proposal, I'll know whether they are. And if they're not a strong writer, I will take it in sections so that because number one, it's too time consuming for me when they're not a good writer to do a a whole section. So I will break it down into sections and then my feedback isn't as overwhelming. So, and as soon as I submit the feedback, 
I say in my comments, let's set up a time to talk and I want to go over this with you. So like Greg and Matt have said, I'm direct, but I'm kind. Uh, you know, you can't do it without being direct. So I will be direct all the way through it, but I will immediately set up a time to talk to them. And with those that as I mentioned, don't have a strong writing ability. We do it in smaller sections and it's easier to take and to get through and to give them confidence. I'm like Dr. Ross in, I will take the time to, and I, I, I often see it in the literature review section where the writing just kind of starts to crash. And I, normally start off with telling students that I can see the content. I understand the content if, if I can, which normally I can get through that and understand and present the, the good things I'm seeing in their content. And then I take the student back to the objective of a dissertation is not to write at the highest level you can write. It is to write directly and to communicate so that anybody within the industry, outside the industry, would be able to understand what you're writing about. And depending upon what the student is struggling with, I may give them different tasks to read it aloud to their spouse and get their spouse's feedback. And there have been a few students who I've submitted a chapter review for in the writing lab, which is an amazing resource that we have. And I'll tell students, I'm, you know, one student was very offended and I'm like, it is not a bad thing. This is a new thing for you. It's some, you may write wonderfully in every paper that is set out for you. This is when you're developing yourself. And so having a little extra help is not a bad thing. It doesn't count against you. It's a free service and we'll take advantage of it. And then mm -hmm. you'll get some good feedback now. So I try to just keep that positive, but still be direct and kind. Yes. And, and, and all of the things that are already said, so I don't want to repeat that. I'll just try to add a couple of things that I do additionally. One of the things in all of my communication, whether it's in my announcements area, I sort of have a class theme. And there's a saying that many of us are familiar with, where there's a way, uh, where there's a wheel, there's a way. I reframe that with my students and it becomes my class mantra. Uh, and we say where there's a way, the wheel follows and meaning confidence, the wheel equals confidence and motivation. So what I do is when I'm providing that feed forward, I tell them it's not to set you backwards. It's to help you move forward in this progress to get to your goals. So this is a part of the way. When you understand the way, to get to the finish line of accomplishing your dissertation, then confidence goes up, motivation goes up. So I present it um, in a different way to help them see their progress. I also, like Dr. Ross, like to break it into sections. And then I require them. Ownership is important to me. Here's that sort of environment of accountability coming back again. I say, now you have to carry my, my recommendations forward through the rest of your paper, rather than me going through line for line for line for line, and they're seeing all, all of that. So again, the feed forward helps them accept that I'm trying to help them make progress. 
And then when it's, when it's, there are times when the writing is just really bad. And I've had students that way. And I use the Walden's resources at the doctoral level. I, uh, I send it in for a chapter review. Let me tell mm -hmm. you my why behind that. Because I had, would have at that point have had several iterations with them going back and forth. And I want to bring in a new voice and let them see that it's not just me. Um, and sometimes I use a second committee member, but a lot of times I want the writing center to really help them through at this at this particular stage. And uh, and I tell them I want to bring in another voice so that you can then see and the experts at Walden who who work in the writing center and then I'll submit it for a chapter review when it's at that that very um, tough stage of writing. Yeah, I think that's a good point, and and that service is very good. One other thought: um, when I when my student gets to the literature review, so that it's a little bit easier to manage, I say, okay, list your variables, and I want you to approach it like it's a separate paper for each variable. So I expect two to five pages on each variable. Do them separately. Hand them in. And I don't want you to go on to the next one until this is if they have problems writing, if until we get that one done. And I have found that breaking it down like that, then they don't feel like, oh, I have to find every article in the world. I'll never get through it. They they see it manageable. So so that's what I do for the lit review for that student that's needing some extra help is to break that down and and until it's good, they're not moving on to the next one. And then that creates a way for them to see the first one's hard, but then the next one's because of the way they've done that and they've seen success, the rest of the literature review goes much better and faster. One other issue I wanna make sure we touch on is how do you deal with confrontational students? Occasionally we get people that I don't know, it's just a personality thing or whatever, but they tend to come across as very confrontational in how they approach you. How do you deal with that? I normally try a different communication method. Mm -hmm. If if it's right, written communication that seems confrontational, I might set up a call. <clears throat> Sometimes it's just the words used in, in the written language and they can be misinterpreted. Um, if it continues to be confrontational, it depends on how upset the student is at the time. I will sometimes set up a meeting later in the week where we have more time if I think the student needs a little time to calm down or if we can have a candid conversation, we'll talk through it. I'll ask, why are you feeling this way? Let's resolve what what you're what you're feeling. And sometimes it's just being honest too that some of the struggles that students face is part of the process, but it's trying to take them, trying to alleviate alleviate any of those um, things that they're facing, the challenges they're facing. And I think it's also realizing that a lot of the students have a lot of responsibilities outside of school. So some may be single parents, some may be working two jobs and you don't know what's going on with your students. So having a some empathy 
and understanding that it may not be you that's mm -hmm. causing the frustration. I, um, and I'm typing it into the chat box, but I, when I get to a point when there is conflict and um, fortunately for me, it, it's, it, it's rare that it gets to that point because I think all of us have shared all the different ways that we set up communication. So when you communicate, 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 you don't often get to a point of, of conflict in that way. However, when I do get there, I try to take the focus off of the student and off of me with them pointing the finger at me. And I use three questions that Craig Weber um, in his book called Conversational Capacity uses. The first question is, what are you seeing on this issue that I might not be seeing? And then the second question is, what am I seeing that you might be missing? And then the third question is, what, what might we both be missing? What that does is it takes the focus off of them and off of me, and then there's no mm -hmm. guilt or shame as it relates to the conversation. And I find that that works well, not only with my students, but as I do leadership consulting in the private sector space, I use those same questions in the private sector. I use those same questions with my, my spouse. What might you be seeing that I'm not seeing? Can I share with you what I'm seeing that you might not be seeing? What might we both not be seeing? And it takes the pressure off of the individuals in the conversation and it puts the topic of the conversation in the center of the arena to have a, a, a good and open conversation. I will say, I mean, I agree with Matt. I do kind of like Matt. Um, I do think communication and letting them express their frustrations can be very helpful. But like Greg, I am going to remember those three questions. I just think that is a great idea. And thank you for that. I know I, I frequently, sorry, I was going to say, I, I frequently get students that have had problems with previous chairs. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of the last step for a lot of mm -hmm. students. And I find often it's just listening to them letting them vent for a little while and know that they're being heard helps right. tremendously because particularly when they've been shoved from chair to chair or it's been dragged out for years, they're just so frustrated that it feels like nobody cares. And I think just showing that concern and care and that I want to hear what you're having to say makes a big difference too. And Matt, I'm sorry, I, talked over you there. No, you're fine. One thing I was going to say is I've done some in my career, some executive coaching. And one thing that has stuck with me is we have a tendency as human beings to become confrontational, to prove our point, to, to be right. And the executive coach that I worked with, he spoke to me about and it was, a, it was like a visual exercise. And he's like, I, I love water. I love the beach. And he's like, what if you're in the beach at the beach and a wave comes at you? And if you let, if you struggle with the wave, it's probably going to knock you down. But if you embrace the wave and let it and feel it go through you, then you're going to be able to come out of that. And he compared it to struggles when you're getting yelled at by a doctor or whatever. I work in healthcare. And 
that was his question is get curious. Why are they reacting that way? And so that's why I love Dr. Campbell's questions. You get to find out why are they acting that way? What, what's going on and how can we um, move forward? Yeah, and kind of as everyone has indicated, a lot of times they're, when you're getting them from other chairs and they've been around and they've gotten nowhere, they're confrontational because they're afraid. And, and I, I get this. So I, I agree, just really connecting with them. And, you know, I've worked in a hospital too. So I just let them express. If you're frustrated, say what it is. Let's get it out. I don't want you to hold it in. Just talk about it and talk about it. And the more they talk about it, the more they see yeah, why they're confrontational, why they're afraid, and they can move forward. So everything everybody said, I, I think it's very helpful. And I do think what we're all saying is that we let them share and talk and, you know, express their anxiety and their fear and their concern that they're never going to get done. I can feel that in them. I'm never going to get done. Nobody's ever going to let me get done, especially if they've moved from chair to chair. And it's, it's really connecting with them to help them know that I will help you get there. You work with me and you will get there. And so, you know, I, I agree with, what everyone said about that. So let's see if we have questions from mm -hmm. the faculty. Anybody want to unmute and ask a question? The code for this session is Mandy813. We will let people raise their hand if they're interested. Um, Yes, if you raise your hand, I can unmute you. Sorry, I was on mute myself when I said that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Jason Baker, I'm going to unmute you. There we go. And I'm also going to unmute Marianne. So we'll let Jason go first and then Marianne. And you both have the ability to unmute on your end now. Thank you kindly. I enjoyed the conversation. You know, often, um, so I've been I've been an investigator for about 22 years inside uh, of physiology mostly, but joint and again with Dr. Campbell did my um, PhD at Walden in animation and health literacy. But uh, and that and I joined the group as a, a contributing factor about a year ago and starting the process of um, helping students get their dissertation. But often I think. I think often I try to make sure they they understand this is their work, right? And it's not our work. It's not my, you know, everybody has an opinion on every topic, but this is your work. And eventually, hopefully you'll publish this and for the greater scientific community to read and debate and move forward and add one more piece of grass to the lawn of that particular topic. And they give them so often. I've been, I always use, even before I joined Walden, is use the power of suggestions and recommendations. These are my suggestions, my recommendations, but you got to own this. This is your, you're the first author. Um, I'm just helping you navigate, get through the process. So when I've been meeting with them, I, that's, that's my first, you know, set of expectation that this is your work, not my work. This is your work. And try to set the frame from that point of view. Just uh, curious what your opinion on that is. Thank you. 
I'll, I'll chime in on that one. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, again, when you're setting expectations for a dissertation, oftentimes students come to me in that prospectus phase and they're trying to save the world. And one of the things that we try to do as faculty is to really narrow the topic. So in narrowing or focusing that topic, I let them know right off the bat that I have 27 years as a federal agent. There's some things that I'll know about public policy or law enforcement. Um, but if that topic on, is on something that I'm not familiar with, I let every student know they will become the expert on their topic. It is theirs and they own it. My responsibility as a chair is to partner with them and help them make sure that they follow the checklist or the, the rubric that we go by and, the, and to make sure the content uh, meets our standards uh, at the university. And so I think that's important um, in expectations up front to let them know that they will be the expert on their topic and to see themselves um, as the expert um, when they get to the end of this journey. And I do the same. I, I wholeheartedly agree. It is their topic. And I tell students, I often relate to them a story that I had in my going through it myself. And when I would receive feedback that I didn't agree with, my dissertation chair told me that then defend it, convince me otherwise. And I'll tell the students, I'm like, if you feel like the feedback is inaccurate, let's talk it through, defend what you're, what you're proposing and let's go through it. So I, I, again, I help them create that ownership and let them know it's okay to defend. And then obviously we will come to a, a, some level of agreement. Marianne, you still out there? Oh yeah, thank you. Can you hear me? We can. Okay, so I'm still new to the process, but I'm enjoying this whole series. And, I'm learning a lot from it. And um, the only um, experience I can refer to is mine. And I know that when I did my dissertation that I believe the only reason that I was able to be successful was the amount of time that my advisor gave me. And we had an agreement that we met once a month to go through whatever I'm feeling, how I'm going with my work. So whatever I wrote, I sent up to him and he would give me feedback and we continued. But I, there were periods when we met without my having written anything. And I still found that meeting very inspiring. And that was what made me keep going. Sometimes I would go to those meetings when I didn't have anything. And then after, when I come out there, I, I start writing and I move forward in the session. So when I heard, I think, um, I think it was Dr. Campbell and um, I think Dr. Matt, you said something like, well, if the student does not have any questions or any reason to meet, then I, you know, there has to be something. Sometimes, you know, a student may not have anything really because they're in the process of learning. Sometimes I still, I, I mean, I'm referring to myself. There were times I would read, but I wouldn't know how to bring it together. You know, um, sometimes we had mental blocks, but when I went in and chatted with my advisor, he was able to kind of help me walk through those thoughts. Sometimes I remember even walking into his office and I would talk out 
my a whole you know page and when i'm done he would be like you just wrote a page so let's go ahead and put that on paper so i found that meeting very very useful throughout my own process so i don't i i don't think um, the idea of, oh, well, I wouldn't meet if the person does not have any questions or any concerns, a bit disconcerting, you know, for me, because I would, um, in this process, my intention is to pay it forward if I'm going to be um, helping a student at all. I do expect that there are students that would have problems, um, even if it's not personal, it, it might have to do with actually processing and moving forward in this process. So um, thanks for your time. And Marianne, let me, thank, let me, you. Thank, you for, thank you for your comments. Let me provide a point of clarification. So I don't make a blanket statement that, that students who don't have questions prepared cannot meet with me. However, what I try to do from the very beginning when they come into my class is again, I don't believe in the philosophy of holding each student accountable, although you can. My philosophy is I create an environment of accountability where students hold themselves accountable. The reason I do that, because at Walden and many other universities, you are on your own most of the times in this dissertation process, and it's lonely. So when I create an environment of accountability, it, 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 it encourages students to have their own ownership of this process. So I ask them, um, I use the word question if they have a question, but I'm okay if a student has concerns, um, if they want to still come on a call. And I meet each student where they are. So I'll have some students, again, I'm core faculty, so it's a little, I have a little more flexibility with my time, but um, I have some students that I meet with every single week by via call or Zoom or Teams. I have other students, they have no need to meet with me weekly and don't want to. And they say, well, can I meet with you once a month? I have other students that say, can I meet every other week with you? So I don't create a blanket policy across uh, my platform and serving students. I meet each student where they are and based upon um, what their circumstances are. And then I welcome them to have conversations, but I do uh, want them to be prepared when we do meet together. It looks like we have one more question. Let me jump to that because we're almost out of time. Mark, looks like you wanted to ask something. Yeah, I have a quick question. Um, I often use text to type and then I copy from my iPhone and then it syncs with my computer and I paste that into my line by line comments. I've always been tempted to use audio feedback or even a video embedded a video does anybody do that and do you find it helpful i do i that. haven't done that yet oh I okay and i i i've done it different ways um i i mentioned before i'll do teams and i'll i'll record it from teams a lot and i'll go oh. through and show students where they can improve what what i'm seeing and then I'll take them to different resources and I'll make it specific to them. But it, for some of the students who I see struggle with just that written feedback, the comments, I think having that visual and that audio is another way to get through. Oh. Very good. We are out of time. 
I want to thank our panelists. You guys were wonderful, really great ideas. I want to invite everybody to our next masterclass. It will be on Thursday, December the 8th at 11 a.m. Eastern, and it's going to be on the prospectus. So I hope you can join us for that. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. This podcast was sponsored by Walden University's Office of Research and Doctoral Services. Our music was by Excel Music Publishing, licensed under Creative Commons. Mm -hmm.